Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This episode of Hey Amarillo is supported by the Discover Amarillo app, a free mobile app for Amarillo residents who want to keep up with local activities, shopping, businesses, and more. The app includes a community calendar with all the city's events in one place. You can find out more at discoveramarillotx.com or head to your app store of choice to download Discover Amarillo today. That's the Discover Amarillo app, now available for iPhone and Android. Today's guest is the Reverend Jared Howes, who is the rector or priest at St. Andrew's Episcopal Church. Jared is a seventh-generation Texan who grew up in the Metroplex area, but has spent most of his adult life here in West Texas. He and his family arrived in Amarillo and at St. Andrews right in the middle of the pandemic. So we talk about what he has grown to love about Amarillo, about the role a prominent church like St. Andrews plays in the area, and what he's learning here about the value of community. Here's Father Jared Howes. Jared Howes, welcome to the Hey Marilla podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Well, it's it's my honor to have you. I, I know you are a listener uh, of the podcast, and I appreciate that. We've known each other for a couple of years, but I'm glad to have you in the studio and want to start with you like I start with all my guests and just Great. ask you, why are you here? What brought you to Amarillo? Well, uh, I am here because I'm the, the rector, which is the fancy word for head priest at St. Andrew's Episcopal Church here in Amarillo. And my family and I, we've been here for about two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And You arrived in the middle of COVID, I if did. I remember right. Yes. Like 2020. End of July 2020, which was a, a, an odd time to land anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that's what brought us here. Uh, my wife and I are both Texans. And uh, we're raising our kiddos as Texans, but we've we've been all over Texas at this point, um, but hoping um, that we can stay in Amarillo a good while. Where are um, you from originally? I grew up in Dallas. Okay. And um, and and if I have family that will listen to this, they would be mad if I didn't specify when I say Dallas. I mean like Dallas, Dallas, like right? For not, real Dallas. For real Dallas, not uh, you know Metroplex area. Um, yeah, I grew up like. Depending on traffic, twelve minutes from Cotton Bowl, okay. and uh, grew up in this little neighborhood in East Dallas where my mom grew up, and uh, my mom's side of the family actually goes back like seven generations in Dallas. Wow! Um, and so, so that's like mid nineteenth yeah, century Texas kind of, Republic sort of days, right? Yeah, it's a it's a weird claim to fame for I, my ancestor was the first naturalized citizen in Dallas. So, Interesting. Kind of kind of wild family history there, but. Um, but my dad grew up in West Texas, in Odessa and Abilene, and spent summers there, went to college uh, in Abilene, and fell in love with West Texas and a, a different part of the state than I grew up in. Mm-hmm. So I, at this point, I've been um, not in Dallas longer than I was in Dallas. Okay. Up, so. Where were you before you came to Amarillo? Before I came to Amarillo, uh, I was serving two congregations, two rural congregations, one in Sweetwater, one in Colorado City, and um, we were there five years and then before that, I served in San Angelo mm-hmm. for two years. And then before that, I was we were in Austin for seminary. So. Okay. And those congregations, those were Episcopal yep. as well. Yeah. I mean, has that yeah. been the breadth of your career has been within that tradition? That has. Yeah. Yeah. I, I felt called to the priesthood in my mid-20s and went to seminary. And um, that was a, about a four-year process. Mm-hmm. And then once left seminary, uh, just been serving as an Episcopal priest in different 
communities across Texas. So it's been pretty cool. Now, I, I, I know this about you, um, so I'm going to ask it. Yeah. You went to college with my sister, Micah, at Hardin-Simmons University. I did. Which is a Southern Baptist university. It is, yeah. And the path from Hardin-Simmons to the rector of an Episcopal church, I yeah. imagine, is not a very common one. So I, <laughs> how, how did that happen? Um, you are correct in that. I'm a Hardin-Simmons alum, cowboy alum, I guess you say. Um, so my wife, Erica... And I, uh, we got married. We met at Hardin Simmons. She grew up probably more Southern Baptist than I did. I grew up kind of hybrid Baptist. My dad was a pastor. Um, okay. Went to Dallas Theological Seminary. So, kind of if you if you mix Bible Church with Baptist life, that's kind of the the world I grew up in. But uh, we were about two years into marriage, and we were part of a church plant in Abilene, Texas. Uh, we were both working on graduate degrees there, and we started asking questions about just our own faith journey. We'd always kind of been a part of particular communities of faith that were similar to what we grew up in. Mm-hmm. But we began having conversations about kids in the future and what kind of church do we want to raise them in? What does church mean to us, period? Um, you know, we had big questions. We didn't feel necessarily at home in that tradition anymore. And so we said, let's just start visiting other places. And so we went to Presbyterian churches and Methodist churches and Lutheran and uh, non-denominational. Um, we went to uh, Pentecostal. Church. I mean, we just kind of explored. Tried them all. Tried them all and, and just wanted to see what we hadn't been exposed to before. And I had a professor uh, in graduate school. She was my child and adolescent therapy professor. And I loved the way she talked about her faith. And I really appreciated how she talked about God in class. So one day after class, I asked her where she went to church. And she told me, Church of the Heavenly Rest. And that sounds like a funeral home, but it, <laughs> it's a big, beautiful Episcopal church in Abilene. And she invited me and Erica. And she lent me my first book of common prayer. And I took it home and I read it and we went and just fell in love. Had never been really engaged in a liturgical tradition before. So my wife fell in love with liturgy because it was order, right? And she knew it's going to start at this time Mm -hmm. and we're going to get out at this time. You know what I mean? That's her love language. And I fell in love with the beauty of it, the, the, the poetry of the liturgy and the architecture and the stained glass. And I thought I was going to be a counselor and I noticed... I loved being at Heavenly Rest, and I noticed I loved being with people at church more and more. I started paying attention to the priests there, who at that point had really taken me under their wing and started discipling Eric and I. And I kept looking at them from a distance, and I was just going, I think I I could do that. I think I might like to do that. It was just kind of this gnawing little voice in my brain. Um, I was like, no, 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 I have a plan. (laughs) I'm going this direction. And, um, you know, it it finally got loud enough in my head where I had to talk to Eric about it. And she was like, go for it. Hmm. So off to the races after that. So I, I I do want to ask, I I always think about listeners who maybe come from a background like yours, that's less liturgical. Mm -hmm. And so they're not familiar with, uh, with that tradition, whether Mm -hmm. it's the Catholic side, whether it's Episcopal or Anglican, um, like, like tell me what your role as a rector is. Now that you're so many years into it, you know, compare that to like a, a Southern Baptist pastor, sure. you know, what yeah. are some differences? What are some ways that they're the same? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there's probably more ways the same than there are differences. Uh, a lot of my role and a lot of my ministry includes uh, what any pastor of any denomination, any church, any religious leader 
period, any faith tradition. Uh, It's caring for the people that are part of your community of faith. There's a lot of time spent um, one-on-one in pastoral counseling you know, situations, people are going through a hard time. Um, people are getting married. People are having babies. People are dying, and and you know there are funerals, and there's all the the, the care that goes into that. There's teaching and preaching. So I mean, it would look very similar. And I mean, like I mentioned, my, my father was um, a pastor growing up, and day in day out, our, our days look very very similar. I would say you know between a, a liturgical tradition and non liturgical tradition. Um, what I'm doing on a Sunday morning just looks a little different. We're saying words that the church has said um, for centuries, and we have orders and rites that are very meaningful to us. That's part of the spiritual nourishment that occurs on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or a particular, you know, we have Christmas Eve coming up at the time we're recording this, and so that's a big part of what I do. I'm very grateful and thankful that I have a, a large staff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not an administratively gifted dude, and so uh, I have a lot of people around me that um, help, and, and I get to give them the ball, and they run, and they, they make St. Andrews happen in so many ways I couldn't by myself. And so that includes um, a deep bench of deacons and uh, other clergy. I work with two other priests and then a bunch of different staff. And so I, I work with them a lot. I'm doing a lot of leadership development and staff development and that kind of thing. Tell me, before we talk too much about St. Andrews, mm-hmm. um, tell me about coming to Amarillo. When, when that landed on your radar, did you have familiarity with this part of the country? A little bit. Uh, we're in the diocese, the Episcopal Diocese of Northwest Texas, and so um, I'd had the privilege of meeting folks from St. Andrews years and years and years ago and getting to connect with them at different diocesan events. And at one point, right out of seminary, actually, I was still a, a curate, which basically means a puppy priest, you know. <laughs> um, the, the former rector here, um, Robert Pace, invited me to come lead the vestry retreat. And so um, I got to come up to Amarillo and uh, do that retreat with a bunch of folks at St. Andrews, and that was a lot of fun. So I had some engagement, and then, um, you know, just um, familiarity with Amarillo, generally speaking, right? I didn't, I didn't know a whole lot, but I knew that Amarillo was a place that we were interested in. Okay. It seemed like a great place. So it, it already had maybe a possibility as some place you might end up. Yeah, we, we love our diocese. Eric and I talking about where we wanted to raise our kids. We love this part of the world. We didn't want to go out of state if we didn't have to. And we wanted to raise them not in Dallas. <laughs> um, and we wanted to raise them, you know, in a community that, that felt rooted, that, you know, it, there was some connection to agriculture, connection to what it's like being out in this part of the state, mm-hmm. but also had accessibility to things like theater and music and cool restaurants and all that kind of stuff. And Amarillo was always on our radar. And so when the opportunity came up, you know, we had been in Sweetwater for five years and that felt like a good time to turn the page. Our oldest was going into sixth grade and much past that, it gets tough yeah, to move the kids. Hard. And so we just looked at it as kind of a great opportunity I was encouraged to drop my name in the hat, and thankfully the interview went well, and the search committee offered me a call to come serve as rector. Well, and so they knew you already. I mean, they you, did, yeah. You'd done work A with... lot of them did, yeah, which, you know, 
obviously helped. <laughs> so I, I'm thinking of St. Andrews mm-hmm. and what I know of it, and then thinking of, like you said, some of the rural congregations yeah. that you were ministering in. Mm-hmm. Um, those seem very different. Mm-hmm. You know, St. Andrews is is a large church. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, you've got a big staff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really impressive, you know, building. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a prominent part of the worship landscape here in Amarillo. And I wonder, like, Going in, you know, was there a okay? I'm this is this is a major step up, yeah. And that comes with maybe some intimidation, sure. maybe some anxiety about that. Is, yeah. is that is that accurate with you? Sure. I, I think if I'd known about the prominence part, I probably wouldn't have dropped. My head. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been too scared to do it. That that's something I learned more and more about after we moved here. Mm-hmm. Um, t- to me, from the outside looking at St. Andrews, someone who hadn't, you know, been a part of the worship life or leadership life there. St. Andrews people, what I, what I found in them at different places um, where we, 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 you know, got to interact with each other, they were fun. Um, they were funny. They didn't take themselves too seriously, but you knew they loved the church. Mm-hmm. You knew that they loved, you know, what was happening in and through the life of the church, that they wanted to do more things. Um, there was something kind of gutsy about them. And so that's what drew me to even think about being at St. Andrews. I was like, this seems like a church that is, is willing to take risks, is willing to do some creative, different kind of stuff. Um, and so, and, and having a larger staff and having a bigger church, um, you have a larger resource pool of gifted people that you can tap on the shoulder and be like, hey. And so that was all the, those are the things that drew me to St. Andrews. Um, as far as a lot of those other things, you know, small church, mid-sized church, big church, um, and, I, and I've had the opportunity to serve kind of all three of those zones. Um, what I'm, what I found is people are people. You know, it, it's almost like um, they're they're in center casting, right? Like mm-hmm. the same characters show up in different ways, the same hurts and pain show up uh, in similar ways, and there's there's enough of you know cultural context between. San Angelo and Amarillo, right? I know we're in the panhandle and it's not quote unquote specifically West Texas. Like I get that, but there are some cultural touchstones here that I've been able to encounter other places. What have have you come to learn then, you know, in the two and a half years you've been here about the role that St. Andrews plays, you know, because Amarillo has a number of prominent churches, a number of historic churches. They all sort of fill... You know, a, a certain part, you know, a, a, right. the body of Christ, you know, and, and there's a mm-hmm. lot of different body parts yeah. that make that work in a yeah. city. Um, what's the role of St. Andrews? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I'm still learning that role. I'm still learning a lot about the culture there and the culture here in Amarillo. You know, just two and a half years and one of those was COVID. So it yeah, wasn't even a sure. fair, fair way to kind of get to know a, a city. You know, I think I think in a lot of ways, St. Andrews um, has been a church in transition. From gathering what I've heard from the stories and the narratives about, you know, because it had the, the devastating fire yeah. in the late 90s, and that there was, you know, pre-fire St. Andrews and post-fire St. Andrews. And to my understanding, uh, pre-fire St. Andrews probably fit that classic stereotypical mode of the prominent church. Okay. And I think it drew prominence and that was a big part of its identity. Mm-hmm. A number of city leaders right. have been associated with the church, you know, Absolutely. for a long time. Absolutely. Then the fire happened. 
and your most precious things are taken away. And you have to learn to do church differently. And you have to ask yourself, what is church? Um, now that we don't have our building, now that we don't have our sacred space, who are we going to be? And I think in that season, in that period, you know, God bless the people who were leading through that season. Uh, I think there were people who left. Mm-hmm. And, well, I know there were people who left. Um, you saw trimming down. But then out of that, uh, you saw um, them go into a school gym, move chairs around every Sunday, set up, break down, set up, break down. They had to get creative. They had to think differently. And uh, they had some good interim leadership in that. And then they called uh, Clifton Mann and Joe Mann. And um, I get to work with, she's now Joe Craig, but I mm-hmm. get to work with Mama Joe, as we call her. And um, and she was beloved. She's you know, beloved, still beloved. Yeah, still is. She, she sort of retired, and then she's not really ever going to retire. <laughs> she loves what she does too much. And so... Um, we were just like, Joe, just come back and keep doing what you're doing. So, um, but, but those two, she and Clifton really loved that church, kind of loved it back and gave it a, a different kind of identity, something different to grab onto. And I think it's still in that transition. St. Andrews really is not that uh, blue blood prominent church anymore, even though I think a lot of the people in the community think that. It may still have that perspective. I That's think, true. I think it does. It's hard to let go of that. Absolutely. And it, and it takes work and time, mm-hmm. you know. And so it, it, it's a community of faith now um, that really is drawing all different kinds of people. Um, I think it prides itself on its community engagement. There are a lot of people at St. Andrews who are plugged at different places in the community, serving in all kinds of various roles through different nonprofits and social outreach organizations. And that's really important to them and to continue to connect and find creative ways to connect with that work that's going on, but not in a way that's like, look at what St. Andrews is doing, yeah. right? Like Mary Emini, who's one of my good friends and um, spiritual guides. Um, and a former podcast guest. Oh, yeah. Really former, early in the show's run. Uh, well, good. That's She's got a lot of wisdom to share. But, you know, she has this great saying, you know, you can you know give a man a fish, teach a man to fish, or you can change the water, which is toxic. Hmm. And... The conversations people at St. Andrews like to have are, how do we change the water? Uh, What can we do systemically? So that means we don't start our own program. It's like, what are people doing in the community already? And how can we do our part and enrich that and support that and help that? And then um, I think an important part is uh, that we serve also is um, we're an open and affirming congregation, unapologetically. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's a really important place in the Amarillo community. We're not alone in that. I mean, there are other churches. No, but you are perhaps the biggest Mm -hmm. church that that falls under that categorization, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we may be, you know, we have leadership in the church that is part of the LGBTQA community. Um, We have faithful men. I mean, this is, this is something that's near to our heart and um, I'm really thankful, which is another reason I wanted to be at St. Andrews. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's something that has has impressed me about St. Andrews is that a number of my friends, uh, you know, who are uh, in same-sex relationships mm. or are married, you know, and we'll end up talking about church, they all go to St. Andrews. Like, like that, <laughs> that draws them, you know, yeah. other than a few. And, yeah. and I have appreciated um, that leadership because 
I know about the Episcopal tradition, about the liturgical tradition, like mm-hmm. that's still controversial. Mm-hmm. And especially in a place like Amarillo that leans, you know, a little more religiously conservative, a little more politically mm-hmm. conservative, it's it's still controversial here. Yeah. Um, as, you know, recent uh, discussions about drag shows and all that kind of stuff right. has, has made clear. And so I, I wonder, um, you know, you, you said that was one of the things that drew you to it. Yeah. How do you... How do you look at that as as something that that is a part of life at St. Andrews? Obviously mm-hmm. not yeah. central to it, but right. um, how, how do you kind of wrap your mind around that as the the leader of the community? Yeah, so I mean, one of the things um, oh, it was last no, it was in October. I preached a three part sermon series: um, one bread, one cup, one love, and it was about being the radically centered church. And when we say radically centered we don't mean like everybody has to think the same thing about everything in the center, right? We're talking about moving toward instead of a radical left or a radical right, a radical center, because that's where we get to encounter each other. That's where we encounter Christ. It's where I think we encounter true suffering in the world too. You know, there's, there's a tendency, I think, for people to hear open and affirming congregations and think liberal, or mm-hmm. progressive, or whatever kind of tagline or category we like to put people in. And that's easy to write easy. you off and Absolutely. say, they're not on our team, so I right. don't need to think about that. Absolutely. And if you look at the the you know St. Andrew's population, um, I, I guarantee you, you're not going to find a bunch of quote-unquote liberals. Um, you're going to find a mix of people. You're going to find people who vote every which way, who think every which way about any sociopolitical conversation topic you want to throw at them. Um, what it means to be Anglican, what it means to be Episcopalian is our commitment to come to that center, that we can disagree on these different things um, and we can have different opinions about, you know, this political question or what does marriage mean or da da da, you know. But what unites us is our ability to pray together and to come to the altar together and receive communion. Um, I had a spiritual director a long time ago that told me that. Um, uh, in the Episcopal Church, schism is worse than heresy. Hmm. You know, um, we don't have doctrinal statements. You know, we, we've never required people to sign on any kind of dotted line about any particular dogma. It's always been, no matter who they are, can you look at this person created in the image of God and come to the table with them? And um, that's really important to St. Andrews, and it's going to continue to be. So I'm excited about that. As you've gotten to know the church and its history and its people, you know, the last couple of years, what have you come to learn about Amarillo? I, mm. I know, you know, during an, an isolation period, that probably was more difficult, but, you know, the yeah. last year and a half, there's been a little more freedom and stuff, so. Yeah, yeah. Where where have you landed in, in figuring out the city now where you serve? Oh, that I got a lot of more work to do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it is a complex culture, um, and I mean that in the, in the best way possible. You know, there, there is a real diversity here. You know, I think people hear Amarillo and they don't think diversity if mm-hmm. they don't know it. But I'm finding the more and more I get to know it, the more diverse it becomes to me. And I want to get to know that more and more and more. Um, so that's that's best. You know, I'm an Amarillo rookie, man. Okay. So two and a half years in and and I'm going to play that COVID trump card to, you know, to I don't want to inadequately answer that yeah. question. But um, that's what I would say, the diversity of it. It's It's easy to avoid that diversity if you mm-hmm. want to yeah you know there's there's still enough uh enough 
areas of monoculture, you know, mm-hmm. where you can sure. stay away from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you just go venturing out, you yeah. know, a few blocks away from where yeah. you know, you're familiar. And yeah, it, it just blossoms. We were um, early to my middle kiddo's basketball game. And we, I just love driving around, mm-hmm. like especially if I'm not on time for someplace. And so we were driving around, and we went to a, a, this one neighborhood. I'm just turning. I'm wondering. And we pull into this shopping center, and I'm like, what's in this shopping center? And there's this one store. It says, we sell goat meat and camel's milk. And then drive a little further, and it's obviously an African store because mm-hmm. they get the beautiful garments hanging in the window. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. You know, you hear Emerald and you don't think about – a place that sells camel's milk or that would have this, these things hanging in, you know, and, and that's just the tip of the iceberg I know, but um, there's just so much here. I want to keep exploring. What, you know, do you have sort of thinking of, because I know as, as the leader at St. Andrews, you're always thinking not just about the present, but about the future. Um, what are some things that, you know, the, that may be coming for the church, you know, as, as you think, how can the church continue to serve, continue to grow, um, you know, maintain its role in the community when you start planning out five or 10 years, like what kinds of things do you think about? Yeah. And, um, it'd probably be good to be a leader that thinks 10 years out. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're still, you still got your feet wet trying to still, figure out what you've got. Still now, got right? my feet wet. I, but I, I do think this, and this is, um, a conversation I started having with a group of people early on, and I'm having it in different ways with different people now. You know, one I already touched on just about the the desire to find and figure out our way to enrich the work that's already happening, you know, um, and to raise money for that work, shine a light on it, get people involved. Um, so that's, I think that's just going to increase. And um, then Two, I think St. Andrews is a great place to learn to be a leader. And so I, I would really love to see us over the course of five to ten years develop some intentional ways we can develop leaders. And not just within, um, you know, a clergy context. Mm-hmm. But I think there's possibilities to do that, um, especially with a lot of the people we have and the ways they're gifted. Um, community leadership, you know. Um, that's something I'm interested in exploring. So we'll see. The The last thing I want to ask is, you know, is, is related to the city and, and also to, you know, your, your family heritage as a seventh generation Texan. <laughs> you know, tell me about, you know, having, you, you've worked all over the state. Um, you've talked to people and tell me about the, the perspective of this area, the panhandle, as you've come to know it. And, and maybe as your family knows it, you know, in other mm-hmm. parts of the state, how do people think about Amarillo? In other parts? Yeah. Of the in state? other parts of the state, or, in, in your family and, you know, the, the church communities you've served, yeah. is there a perspective on it that, that might be interesting? You know, um, when, when we started sharing with people, we were going to Amarillo, um, the two kind of dominant messages that we got um, were, wow, that's way up there. And then one, and I'll just be honest, um, came from um, a friend of mine in Abilene. He was like, isn't that like the armpit of Texas? And I was like, no, man. And then I moved here and, um, and I've fallen in love with it. 
and so is my wife. You know, there is so much here, and and I think this is this is a long way to answer the question. I, I think it's unfortunate because I think a lot of people who are coming from different parts of the state, they're on a particular destination to Colorado mm-hmm. or New Mexico, and they see this sliver of Amarillo, that in my opinion doesn't even, you know. Yeah. Cover, touch touch anything of what Amarillo. The I forty corridor yeah. is not the best representative yeah. of our city. Right. I mean, it is a beautiful city. It really is. And um, there's there's so much going on here, and it seems like there's stuff that's going to keep on going on here, which is really neat. So um, that's probably not a, a great answer to your question, um, but that's what I got. <laughs> this week's episode is supported by Wick Realty. I recorded every interview over the past year in my home studio. My family and I love our house and we love our neighborhood. And we're here because Wick Realty helped us sell our previous home and buy this one. Wick is invested in seeing Amarillo flourish economically and socially for all groups of people. So if you're buying or selling, if you're building, if you're looking for investment property, if you're a first time homeowner, talk to Katie Wick or one of her outstanding agents. That's wickrealty.com, W-I-E-C-K. Okay, I'm back with Jared Howes. Jared, this is part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon on the WT campus. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes more than 700 rotating works of art by the Western artist Frank Ray, who's considered the dean of Texas painters. I don't know if you know this, but the museum loaned one of his works. Uh, it's, it was called The Approaching Herd to George W. Bush to display in his private office oh, wow. in the White House That's uh, awesome. while, while W. Was, was serving as president. And then it came back to the museum, you know. So, That's amazing. Um, Frank Ray, uh, it's, it's the best collection of Frank Ray works uh, anywhere, and the museum's really proud of it. You can learn more at panhandleplains.org. Okay, um, we talked about St. Andrews a little bit in this context, but when you think of Amarillo 10 years from now, mm-hmm. what do you hope for? Um, so all the good and creative work that is just beginning mm-hmm. and has already begun, like I hope, I hope all that is thriving in ten years. Um, you know that that's that's what I hope for, and that those things have inspired and those works have inspired other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love it when people start connecting dots. And can I just share one example? Yeah, go for it. So St. Peter's Episcopal Church is another Episcopal community uh, here in Amarillo. And um, they're doing some creative work with their space because there's lots of churches that as they continue to age, they have extra space. And so they teamed with um, Square Mile Community Development. Right. And then Square Mile introduced them to Ryan Pennington's work in the place and people within that context and now they're transforming St. Peter's Episcopal Church into this multifaceted community outreach for all kinds of people in all kinds of ways. Like all those dots connecting like that, like I hope that just in 10 years, that's like wildfire, right? Like people are able to do all that kind of stuff in all kinds of ways we can even think about now. That's what excites me. Yeah, it's like we're laying a foundation right now. And then there's all these different pieces of the structure that yeah. will eventually come together right. and create something cool. Yeah. Okay, other than wind, what does this area have too much of? Okay, this is a very personal topic All right. for me. So if I get emotional, okay. pocket gophers. <laughs> pocket gophers. Have you heard this? Have you experienced Tell pocket gophers? Tell me more. Gophers? Tell me more. Okay, so we live in 
Old Westcliff. I'm still learning right. Amarillo neighborhoods, but there's Westcliff and Old Westcliff. We live, which old, I guess, is mid-90s uh, for that, that part of town. And so we back up to a green belt. And out there, you know, you have a lot of open prairie and hills mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But since we've moved in, we've had a terrible time with pocket gophers. They, they get into my backyard and I'm, I'm like, I'm a big lawn care guy. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I, I zen out and, you know, ease and relax as I mow the lawn. I do lawn work. And so it's driving me crazy that we can't get rid of these pocket gophers. Is, is there a difference between a pocket gopher and like a prairie dog? I mean, is it same family or is it? It may be the same family. I will say. A I, sod poodle, you might a say. A sod poodle, right, right. I, I will say when I see a prairie dog, I'm like, oh, cute. When I see a pocket gopher face, and I've seen one now, I'm I'm not cute. Okay. Not not I mean, and they're kind of like if I think if you were to smash like maybe a prairie dog and a mole together. Oh, okay. Okay. You know, um, but they they burrow and they get in your yard and they just tear up your grass. And they have these big. Ma- I was like Bill Murray in Caddyshack. Mm, you're tossing uh, yeah dynamite down into right. the holes. Exactly. Sorry. I'm. It's getting to that point. So okay. Well. I can assure you that pocket gophers have not been mentioned previously on okay. the podcast, so thank you for bringing a new topic to it. <laughs> good, good. What does this area not have enough of? Okay, so um, this isn't unique to Amarillo, but it's something I've heard no matter where I've served. It's something I'm reading about in the papers here and hearing in conversation with different people uh, who are you know, coming from ranching families and um, is water sustainability, mm-hmm. water sourcing. and. You know, we're not so far removed from our ancient evolutionary ancestors that water doesn't matter. Where water is, is where people gather, and uh, that's where communities thrive. And so I think that's something that way above my pay grade and yeah. skill knowledge, but I- any work that anybody's doing to tap into that, I'm all about. So Okay. When you talk to outsiders about Amarillo, when your friends or your family say, all right, what's it like now that you've lived there? What do you yeah. tell them? Um, a little bit of what we've touched on already, the blend of cultures. Um, you know, I, I think it's where Texas meets Midwest. Okay. Um, and it's, you know, cowboy culture, and it's also this, you know, thriving artistic culture. There's colleges here and, um, you know, everything that comes with, you know, institutions of higher learning. Um, there's the immigrant population or refugee population. Um, it's just this blend of culture, the fact that it's, and I, and I may get the, the number of states wrong. Um, Amarillo is closer to how many state capitals? Is it four? It's like seven or seven? eight. Oh, it, yeah. See, it's, was, it's more than a half dozen for sure. Yeah. I mean, that fascinates me. Yeah. Uh, you know, closer to those capitals than our own, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think that allows for a, a, a different kind of culture to, to grow here. Okay. What's your favorite local neighborhood? So I hear this question and um, you know, there are so many cool neighborhoods uh, in Amarillo, and we're still getting to know them. But um, I hear this question, and Miss Lemoyne, our next door neighbor, her face pops into my brain. And Miss Lemoyne brings us cookies every change of the season, every holiday. And her husband Daryl, um, you know, loves to have cocktail hour, and he'll play you his favorite jazz music. And then there's John Bell across the street who walks up and down and sprays um, people's. The, the weeds that grow in the cracks in the cement. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Dennis across the street who lent me his lawnmower for a month this past summer. Um, the kitchens, the lackeys. These are people that, you know, coolest neighborhood, I have no idea. But 
favorite neighborhood because this is where we're raising our kids. These are our neighbors. These are the people that from the beginning, um, when we didn't know what Amarillo was like and what Amarillo people were like, they showed us like right off the bat. Hmm. Um, I really love our neighborhood. And, and I love that it's on the edge of town. Yeah, Westcliff is a, has a different feel yeah. from a lot of neighborhoods. It doesn't have that traditional, well, this is another Amarillo development, mm-hmm. you know, that's just flat. All the trees are new. I mean, there's yeah. there's some some hills and some relief, and right. some old cottonwoods, and it, yeah. it's, it's yeah. an interesting place. It, it, it is. We like it. And, and I like it because it feels like I'm going out of town. Kind of helps me, you know, turn it off a little bit. Okay. I can take a deep breath. You know, I think there's two blocks and then from our house and then it's just open. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if it's going to stay like that forever. Probably not, but it is now. And it's really lovely. Well, it so. might solve the pocket gopher problem. Yeah, a little more development. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Okay. What's your favorite local restaurant or food truck? Um, so, okay. I couldn't decide. So Greasy Burger, Golden Light. I'm just a greasy burger kind of guy, and I love that vibe in there. Um, or a lunch buffet at Indian Oven. Yeah. Um, I know those are two totally different things, but why not? And then uh, food truck right now is Mi Gente. Okay. Um, yeah. And and that dude is from Dallas, so I feel a little, yep. you know, simpatico with him, and he's a big Dallas Cowboys fan, which yeah, also helps he me. Is. Yeah, he is. Mi Gente is an excellent food truck. Yeah. They're really good. Um, and has an association with Square Mile and, and yep. how he got started. So Absolutely. Yep. Okay, what's your favorite local coffee shop? Palace. Yeah, that's where I go. It's where I have a lot of meetings. Um, it's where I go to write, put on the headphones. Mm-hmm. I love being around people, uh, even if I'm not directly engaging with them. Um, and I like um, just the cross-section of people that come into Palace. So. It's my go-to. Do you go to the one on Georgia, right down the street from you? Mainly because it's close to the church, mm-hmm. and so a lot. A, it's just easy for me to go there. Um, but um, uh, you know, I'll go to the one on Thirty Fourth too because it's close to Burrowing Owl. So then I have an excuse to go buy some used books after I drink my coffee. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good excuse. Yeah, that's right. Okay, and when was the last time you visited the Big Texan? Okay, I've never been. Have you not? No. All right. No. And I don't know if I'm going to lose points or gain points with the Amarillo people on that. Um, you know, no, I, I don't think so. Um, I had lived here for 30 plus years before I ever went yeah. to the Big Texan. Yeah. Um, and so I, I do think you need to go. I think it's I an agree. experience you should have, whether yeah. you go as a family or you take somebody from out of town just yeah. to see the spectacle of it. Yeah. Um, it's a great place to take out of town people because they just... There's so much to see there. It's everything. Yeah. And and we, I mean, we would love to, you know, I think it goes back to moving here in the middle of COVID and we moved here and for a year we we're like, you know, it's probably not a place we should go. <laughs> You'll be surrounded by 300 people in that dining room at any time of day. Right. So it, Exactly. Coming from all parts of the, the country, you know, and, um, and then, you know, we were here for over a year and we, we found other places we love to mm-hmm. eat. And so it hasn't been like this intentional can't go to the big Texan, you know what I mean? But now it's like, since you've asked me that question, I feel yeah. like the gauntlet's been thrown. I, I tossed it and I need you to update me when you go. I'll do it. I'll or do we'll it. just go for lunch someday. I don't, I'll I don't do care. that too. Cool. We're both, right? Yeah, yeah let's yeah. do it. Let's do it. Okay. Um, that concludes the eight straight questions, Jared. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing you would like listeners to know about or to experience? Okay, so um, this is something that um, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about, and we're pretty passionate about at St. Andrews. And um, I, I can talk about it now because you have plenty of time to plan ahead for it. 
Uh, we call it Trucking at St. Andrews, and it happens the second Wednesday uh, of every month in the summer. Okay. So June, July, August, and we have live music, and we bring in live like local Amarillo bands, mm-hmm. and we've brought in a whole cross section of different kind of styles of music and bands uh, for that. Uh, we get local food trucks and we close down Bryan street, which is the street behind St. Right Andrews behind it, yeah. and they park their food trucks out there. And then we spotlight, um, a local nonprofit. And so that's how, um, I, uh, have been able to, to, you know, connect and get to meet, um, so many great community leaders and so see such good work going on. Um, and we'll raise money for them that night. Okay. Um, it's just a, it's a way to shine the light on the work they're doing. They have some time to share in between the, the band set and, um, they can talk about what they're doing. People can come up to them and ask them questions and we pass a big bucket around. Um, but you know, pretty much it's not just what goes in the bucket. We have church members that want to give and volunteer and connect. So we just really love that. And we've seen, um, just some great response to that. And the bands seem to love it. The nonprofits that are coming out seem to love it. And our, our community loves it. So anybody's welcome to come. We have the, the there's a beer truck. Um, right. And so we park the beer truck in the middle of the courtyard. So it's BYOB, or you can buy beer from a local beer tap truck. Um, bring your kids, bring your family, all that. And um, you have several months to plan yeah. ahead for it. <laughs> Five, six months to get ready. Okay. So. That's a good one. Jared House, thank you for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. I've enjoyed it. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Jared for the interview. You can find out more about him at standrewsamorello.org. Thanks also to Broderick Adams for editing this episode. And thanks to sponsors Wick Realty, the Discover Amarillo app, and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for supporting the show. Hey Amarillo exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you and the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Corey Burns, Jess Heredia, Wilson Lemieux, Josh Wood, Wes Reeves, Patrick Burns, and Barbara and Jim Witten. Happy New Year. This has been episode 281. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.